Rates of anxiety in, in children and youth are absolutely increasing. And I know that uh, by the year 2020, I think the World Health Organization um, predicts that depression will be the number one cause of disability. This is the Come Up Steps to Success podcast with your hosts, James Lawson and Courtney Stevens. We're here today with a very special guest, a mental health professional, author, and yoga instructor from BC out in the West Coast of Canada. She has her master's in social work from the University of Toronto and a certificate from the Institute of Mind and Body Medicine from Harvard. Recently closed her private practice to focus on teaching classes in mindfulness and breathing techniques for healing anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and a whole host of other things. And not to mention, she is a published author from her latest book, Mindful Breathing, Simple, Powerful Tools to Heal Anxiety, Stress, and More. We are here with my special guest, Madeline Eames. Madeline, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on today. Definitely. How did that intro sound? Did we did we about hit it on the dot on the dot or uh Yeah, I think I think you did. I think you got it all in there. Well, we definitely appreciate you taking some time to um talk to us today. You know, on this show we we talk to a lot of different people from a variety of backgrounds, but your background is is unique to um the professionals that we've spoken to so far. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the mental health field and um, how that all started for you? Sure. Well, it started actually quite a long time ago um, when I had graduated. It just turned out that the jobs were that were available were in mental health. And that was a good uh, 25 years ago. And um, so I just found myself in that field for quite a, quite a long time, taking uh, very in various capacities, um, and and I became really because my undergrad was in psychology, um, really intrigued with finding uh, practices that would really or were really effective to help people to live better lives. So it became a little bit uh, of an obsession over time, um, and then I opened a private practice. Oh, about 10 years ago that, uh, as you mentioned, I, I recently closed this year. Oh, so was that um, was that a choice that you made to adventure into other parts of your passion and, you know, focus on the other things you're doing, like the yoga and the books and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It um, you know, it was really a, a natural progression for me in in my practice. I really had. I had the opportunity to work with a lot of, of very interesting clients, um, but people were really suffering, and I saw it more and more with depression and high rates of anxiety, and I also did a lot of um, deep trauma work for people who have post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, and um, and I sort of became tra- trained in many different areas. But one of the things that I've yoga has always been a part of my own life, my own my own personal life. Well, for a good uh, 20 years or so. And what I found was I started to bring in um, the breathing, the breathing tools from yoga and the mindfulness tools from yoga into my sessions. And basically, when the people that really took on those tools and really learned to practice them, got better so much faster. 
And over time, I realized just wanting to do the most effective thing for people that um, I ended up closing my my clinical practice and just venturing into um, teaching classes in mindfulness. And also, um, I have a class called Breathe to Heal because I really wanted to get these tools out to the people and out to more people than I could reach just in my in my private practice. So I moved out of the therapy room and into um, a yoga studio and various other places where I where I teach now. So in a sense, you do you think that counts as reinventing yourself or are you more so doing similar things with just uh, different instruments of healing these days? Well, it, it was a little bit of reinventing myself, I, I must say, because I've always identified myself as a as a therapist. And so I had all my systems set up um, to, you know, schedule clients and see individuals. Um, but I found that when I, it was a whole, it was a whole new world to um, be trying to reach more people and get more people in through the door um, into a classroom as opposed to a therapy office. So I, I would say, yeah, it has, it's definitely had its challenges, but um I I feel like it was the right the right move for me. No, definitely. It sounds like it's been a good move. I have a question though. Jimmy, have you ever done yoga? I've tried it a bit, like a very novice, novice level. It sounds like in my room with an app. Okay. I mean there's nothing wrong with that though, right? You gotta start somewhere. Anybody, anybody can do yoga. <laughs> oh yeah. I well this season actually I play um football and our coach actually implemented a regular yoga routine for us and I don't know if it was a coincidence but this year our injuries were down 30 percent so I think that there is you know there's statistics to support the not only the mental health benefits but also the physical benefits so like you were saying it might be easier to get people to step out on a limb and do something physical where they're actually getting the mental benefits also because there seems to be a lot of stigma around you know, mental health and, you know, finding treatment and even admitting that we need treatment. Do you think that that's because people are afraid to speak up or do you think people genuinely don't know that they need help? You know, I think it's, it might be a bit of both, but definitely um, the first thing you said around stigma is um, uh, there's a huge st stigma still, even though we know that there's such a high percentage of people that that live with depression and uh, and anxiety, there is there is still a stigma um, for going for counseling. And I think that, um, well, I know when, when, if I feel stressed or anxious, like I, I go to, I, I go to yoga. <laughs> and if people have to enter um, through the physical realm of things and, and get the mental benefits, then that, that's totally okay. But I, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, you've had less injuries on your football team now that you are practicing yoga for, for many reasons. And, and I know now, um, well, there's one fellow in the States who was quite a well-known football player. I can't remember his name now, but he actually teaches uh, mindfulness. Uh, so not so much the yoga part of the physical part, but mindfulness to football players. I wish I could remember his name. Um, just because he found it just upped his game and um, made him so much, so much more effective. Oh, I, I believe it. I definitely believe it. 
And I mean, in, in your own words, if I can quote you, uh, you said that mindfulness is not complicated, but it can be profound. So what, what, ex- so what exactly, what exactly is mindfulness? Like, how could you explain that to somebody who's not exactly familiar with the term? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, it, it is very, it, it's so astoundingly um, simple, yet at, at the same time, it's not, it's not easy. So mindfulness, the, the definition that I like that uh, was from um, John Kabat-Zinn, who, who really is credited for bringing mindfulness to, to the West, is that mindfulness is an awareness of the present moment without judgment and with compassion. So basically what that means is training your brain to be in the present moment as opposed to going back into the past or jumping into the future, and um, which is in the past, if we spend too much time back there, we tend to get depressed. And if we jump, if we're always in the future, we tend to be anxious. So what we found is if you, you can train your brain to be here right now, and generally, um, well, simply put, people feel happier when they're in the present moment. So there's various ways of being able to train your brain to to do that, um, and uh, but that's that's what I that's how I would describe uh, mindfulness. So uh, it's a way of, I would say, well, when I coach football, I tend to tell the kids, you know, live in the moment, not for the moment, but mm-hmm. it's a way of avoiding those regrets and subsiding your fears and really just dealing with the only thing that you have, which is the time that you're living in right now. That's right. Like right here, right now in an interview with you guys, that's, this is the only moment that exists. And so much of our life is spent missing, missing this very moment. Um, and when I, I just found through meeting with people who you know, had depressive thoughts from the past or were always worried about the future, um, that they were believing the thoughts that were running through their mind um, and not realizing that so many of those thoughts just aren't true. And, And so many of those thoughts create so much stress for us. Definitely. So, yeah. There, you know, there is um, an estimate that we have between something like 16,000 and 80,000 thoughts uh, going through our mind throughout the day, and uh, which is fine. That's just what our minds do. But a lot of those thoughts, about 80%, are repetitive. So repeat thoughts from yesterday and the day before, and a really high percentage are negative. So if we continue to believe all those thoughts, we're we're bound to feel stressed and depressed. But if we can stand back and just look at them for what they are, just thoughts, we tend to feel more at ease and a greater sense of freedom, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Now, I like I work with, uh, I used to work with kids a lot. And I noticed that now they're starting to introduce meditation into like a for like free time during recess, things like that. Is that a good way for our, like our children coming up to now start practicing how to be in the moment and that mindfulness that you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. You know, if the research wasn't so compelling, 
around meditation and mindfulness, we would have said goodbye to it a long time ago, but it continues to become more and more popular just because we know that, especially with kids, um, but adults too, we have so much information coming at us during the day and and, um, so much stimulation that when we have a mindfulness or a meditation practice, um, especially for, for kids, they are better able to uh, calm, get calm and get focused. And there have been a number of studies in schools where they've simply introduced breathing breaks throughout the day. So a simple tool, your breath. And um, the rates of uh, kids getting um, expelled and getting detentions have gone so far down almost to be non-existent. So that tells me something. What's a simple um, practice that we can put into, you know, what's something that we can do, a tool that we can use right now and put into practice to start working on our breathing? So there's a lot of different breathing techniques, but the one that I just, I, I use it with every client that I've ever had and also with kids is just to, just to stop, like just to pause, press pause for a moment and just take a deep breath down into your belly, maybe your rib cage, and right up to your upper chest. And then exhale, like a little bit longer. So make the exhale a little bit longer and relax your shoulders. And feel your body, feel your feet. And then take one more deep breath in. So you fill up all the way to the top and let it go with a long, slow exhale. And sometimes just taking that pause can make can make such a big difference between get being reactive to your life so reacting to everything that's coming at you to being able to stop and then choose your response to whatever it is that happens to be on your plate and i think especially for kids it they get it like they understand um they can feel it cuz they're not as cluttered as quite as, as cluttered as us quite yet and so they're better able to just calm quickly and there's all kinds of mindfulness tools and um, that uh, you can use with kids um, and they naturally just start to be able to settle into their desks and be able to pay attention which means they learn better um, and they feel better about themselves so it, it just makes so much sense for schools now to be doing that. And it's free. <laughs> oh, it's for free. sure. No <laughs> <Yes>. prescription necessary. <laughs> no prescription, no side effects. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I'm an athlete and all my life, it's been a benefit to have a lot of, you know, emotions inside of me because if I can channel them into the right avenue, you know, that energy actually pays dividends for me. But at the same time, when those emotions inside, you know, start to become displaced in places where I don't want them to be, it's, it's caused me problems in the past, especially when I was younger and I didn't necessarily know how to manage it that well. Um, one thing that I found was I had to learn how to identify what my triggers were for bringing me over the edge. Now, as far as, as far as like awareness of yourself and, um, you know, noticing patterns inside your behavior um have you have you noticed that 
that's something that's important when people are, when you're talking about mindfulness and when you're talking about, you know, breathing techniques, like when to use the breathing techniques or when to really just get into the moment. Um, have you, have you, have you learned anything about like identifying your triggers? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, you, you kind of hit the, the other nail on the head there. So the first uh, point was just to notice your thoughts and then not believe them all. And, um, and the second part of that is when, in order to be able to, to notice our triggers, we have to have a sense of how we feel. We have to know when we're getting triggered and we have to know how that feels in our body. So I, I love what you just said about you learned um, how to channel your emotions so they could actually benefit you. So whether it's, uh, you know, channel your anxiety or to um, channel your, your passions or even to channel your anger towards something constructive, um, but through the mindfulness and the breathing, when we, when we allow ourselves to slow down, we can actually notice how we feel. Um, so we're not as reactive, like, uh, just, you know, like reacting like a ping pong ball out there. Right. So when I stop and I breathe and I notice, Oh, I, you know what? I, I feel really stressed or uncomfortable or uneasy about that. I'm better able to decide how I'm going to proceed. So I might not get into things that I really don't feel, you know, are uh, authentic for me. Or um, I might be able to speak my mind a little bit better about something that makes me angry. So like you say, being able to, the first part is don't believe your thoughts. And the second part of that is to feel, slow down long enough to feel your feelings. Which, in my experience, you know, a lot of people don't have a lot of practice doing that. I think a lot of people really just run from those feelings, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's an easy thing to do. Yes. And, you know, there's a saying that, uh, that goes, what, what you resist persists. So if you're consistently running away from feelings, because feelings can be kind of uncomfortable, um, they're more likely to pop up again. But if you can just sit with them, notice them in your body, and then either allow them time to process, dissolve, or choose a constructive response, then they're less likely to reemerge so strongly, if that makes sense. Makes, makes perfect sense, definitely. And in my own experience, I can attest to the same things. Yeah, what we don't allow ourselves to realize is that feelings do pass. And so we can allow them to be there. You know, sometimes it's in small bites, but they will eventually, they will pass. So we don't need to react right away. And that is, that is like a huge predictor of success um, amongst business people, entrepreneurs, amongst everybody. Just that emotional intelligence, that the EQ. Mm, yes, that's the term that's popping up a lot more these days. I feel like the world is moving towards this awareness of not only brute force speed and you know, staying up late nights, but understanding yourself and the people that you work with, because at the end of the day, we are people and we're not robots. That's right. So we have to, we have to cater to those things that make us human. And it makes us better in relationships. Um, it makes us better in our families, in our workplaces, um, dealing with difficult people that we all have to do. Uh, oh, we do, don't and we? We do. <laughs> no matter where you go, if you're human, <laughs> you got to right, deal with difficult right. people. 
Um, you mentioned that when you get into that uh, negative headspace that you go do yoga and that allows you to clear your head. It allows you to be in the present moment. Now, for you know people that might not know what that area, that practice that they can do to find you know peacefulness and clear their head, what are some things that we can do to find those tools and those techniques that will allow us to clear our heads? Yeah, you know, I should just uh, I, I should mention that you don't have to go to yoga in order to to find peace or to find um, some clarity in in your mind when you're frustrated or stressed. Um, it can be as simple as a five-minute mindfulness practice or a five-minute breathing practice. Um, a, a lot of people go just go out to nature to be able to do this and connect with something bigger than themselves. Um, if you're just starting out, there's a, there are a lot of uh, great apps um, for that uh, you can choose a you know five-minute mindfulness practice. But uh, one thing that we can always do anywhere, again, like like we just did, is just to to stop and just do a deep breathing practice for for five minutes and come out of your head and into into your body, and it gives you a little bit of a break from from your thoughts. Um, there's all kinds of other tools that you that you that you can use and and mindfulness practices um, to change your thoughts. You can do a a gratitude practice when you feel like everything's going wrong. You can look at all the things that you are grateful for, and it it switches your brain from the stress response to the bigger picture, shall we say? Right. I remember reading one of your blogs and it was saying that pretty much when you dive deep enough into one of your passions and you just get lost in, you know, working on your craft, whatever it may be in, in some forms that can be therapeutic. For sure. That is also a, a very deep in the moment mindfulness practice. When you find that flow and if you're able to identify in your life where you feel that flow, where where time stands still and you could do this, this thing, whatever it is forever. Um, that's what we would, that's what we would call a state of, of flow. And that is absolutely being present in the moment, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And that's where some of your best work is done when it seems like nothing else exists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there, there are various practices to get you there, such as, um, well, some people just use exercise to be able to get there. But I would say anything that takes you out of the stress response and, um, and into it, out of the stress response and into a place where you're more relaxed, open, um, aware, um, would, would take you towards a state of flow. Um, and, you know, and also, I'm just going back to breathing for a second. Well, if I can just say uh, for a moment, I what I did notice, the reason I really got into teaching breathing was because most people that I saw were not breathing uh, fully and not breathing properly. So just breathing into the top part of our, just our upper chest, which really creates anxiety. And the other part was, that when people learn to breathe deeper into their belly, into their abdomen, and fully into their lungs, um, they started to feel better, and they were more likely to get into that state of flow. Because you cannot, you can't focus and heal if you're 
you know, if you're taking very shallow breaths. So it's really interesting how emotions affect your breathing and breathing affects your emotions. And it's one thing we all have access to, to stop and take a few breaths, become really present, get out of those stressful thoughts and move towards what you're passionate about, what you, what you love, what you enjoy. And for an entrepreneur, I would say this is an essential practice because it's not always easy. Oh yeah. It gets tough. I mean, not only do you have to battle the market, sometimes you got to battle yourself. And I mean, for artists and athletes alike, you know, we're all performers in some respect, whether you're delivering a keynote presentation or you're about getting ready to run down the field on a kickoff or something like that. I think that this sounds like a tool we could all kind of, uh, experiment with and maybe maybe even use right before we perform or before we have to you know use our skills because it's gonna allow us to focus in and block out the outside noise would you say yeah I absolutely you know before you go out on the field or before you go on the stage if you tend to get stage fright or you get anxious before you have to really perform uh, you probably have a whole lot of thoughts going through your head that such as you know how am I going to do? Um, am I going to screw up? Um, I'm going to make a fool of myself, whatever it might be. And that's where it becomes really important to stop and really take a few couple of deep breaths, come out of, know that those thoughts are, are only trying to keep you safe, but they're creating a lot of anxiety and you're far better off doing a quick mindfulness practice before you do whatever you need to do. What exactly is anxiety? Because, I mean, you hear it a lot, you know, on social media, you hear articles pop up, anxiety is a big problem yeah. now. Like, what exactly yeah, is anxiety? That's, that's a great question. Um, anxiety is, well, it, it comes in different forms. So it, it could be, it's basically a stress response. So that feeling inside of you of um, body tension, of dread, uh, that fear. It's a fear that something bad is going to happen. Um, it's a, like a heightened uh, state of stress. And it um, usually you can just, you can feel it in your body, you know, the body tension accompanied by fearful thoughts. So it's, it's not a, it's not a great play, way to live. Um, and some people get anxiety just going into social situations some people get anxiety, um, um, public speaking, um, or, you know, a fear of large open places or uh, phobias such as uh, fear of elevators. But um, basically, the response in the body is a it's a fight or flight, which means that your your heart races, um, your muscles tense, and your mouth goes dry and you it's like a response to uh, danger, actually, whereas the danger might be something as simple as, um, like I said, like a, like an elevator. It's a fear of, it's basically li living in a fearful future that something bad is going to happen when actually in that moment, if you stop and take a deep breath, you're probably okay. So does it become the, uh, I'm guessing it becomes a disorder when your coping mechanisms aren't working because like you've said, like some people are able to take a moment back and do those deep breaths and put in those practices, those tools, 
and they can calm themselves down. But when you go over the edge, that's when your your coping mechanisms aren't able to work. Is that safe to say? Yeah, that that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the consequences are not small. Um, when you start not being able to sleep because you're anxious, um, you can start developing all kinds of um, health problems or make whatever health problem you have a lot worse just because of all those stressful chemicals running through your body. So, yes, when your coping tools are not working anymore, that's when it really becomes a disorder and life becomes um, life becomes quite limited uh, when you when you live in fear. When is it time to seek help? And I know you said earlier that a lot of people might not want to seek help. But what are some things that we can do to kind of reach out or at least give a smoke signal says, I need help? Yeah, I when I see people coming for help, it's usually when their their life has become um, limited. But I would say reach out before then, because sometimes it can be as simple as um, just finding a few basic tools to be able to get back on track. Uh, Or sometimes it can be more extensive than that. But um, people run into problems when, for example, uh, they get anxious driving, so they're not driving anymore. Or... um, they get anxious about going out, so they're not going out anymore. And then things, the, your life gets smaller. Uh, so I, I would say if it, if it is affecting someone's life and they've tried a few tools um, and they're not working, to, to go and get some support. It, it doesn't hurt to talk to someone and be able to put it out there and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And uh, to be able to just voice it sometimes can can really help. Yeah, it takes a lot of strength sometimes to ask for help. But I think um, most people would be surprised if they knew what the actual rate at which anxiety and things like depression and PTSD actually affect the general population. Would you say that it's um, it's a lot more people than the average person would like to admit? Uh, I'm not sure what the actual numbers are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I did know the numbers and I um I don't they're I can't think of them offhand. Um but they're absolutely uh in my experience and from what I've read uh rising. I mean um not sure about the about rates of anxiety. Well, rates of anxiety in in children and youth are absolutely increasing. Um and I know that uh, by the year 2020, I think the World Health Organization um predicts that depression will be the number one cause of disability. So that really tells me something, that something's going on here, that, that we're going to need to turn around ourselves. And antidepressants can really help some people and anti-anxiety medication. But on top of that, or for some people, instead of that, there's so many other things that you can do, such as body relaxation, breathing, um, Uh, examining your thoughts, you know, what are you believing about your life that might not be true? And those can be life, life changing techniques. Right. Especially um, when done over time or when built into a regular routine. Is there any routines that you personally practice on a regular basis? I know you're heavily into the yoga, but 
you know, a lot of successful people, they wake up in the morning and they have a routine that they do or something like that. Um, do you have any routines that you practice? Yeah, I, I do pretty, pretty faithfully. Um, and I, I do believe like your morning routine is is extremely important uh, to be able to be successful. You know, how you start your morning is usually how your day goes and so getting up a little bit earlier, which means going to bed a bit earlier. Um, so I usually get up around 5.30, 5.30 or so. And um, I have a routine that just works like clockwork. It's like setting, setting the stage for the rest of my day. So it does involve some movement, some exercise just to move my body. Uh, sometimes it's yoga um, most of the time it's yoga. And, um, and then I sit down and do a breath work practice because 10 minutes of breath work can uh, make, have a huge impact on, on your day and on your life and on your stress level. And then I move into a mindfulness practice, which is a mindful, uh, mindfulness meditation. And so I'm, I'm um, exercising the body and then I'm exercising my, my mind. And then that sets me up for, for the rest of the day. Oh yeah. That sounds, that sounds good. So five thirty, geez. You don't, you don't have to get up that early to do it. <laughs> well, the thing is uh, myself, I'm actually an early riser and uh, sometimes, you know, my wife doesn't like that. I like to get up so early myself because I thought mm -hmm. I was the only person who got up you know, before I really had to and, uh, you know, read a little book or, you know, eat some food, put something in my body. Yeah. But I feel like I'm most energized early in the morning. And that's yeah. just a part of my my awareness of myself. But if somebody's not necessarily a morning person, you know, are there some things they could do maybe before bed that, uh, you know, yeah. are good practices also? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, and you don't have to get up really early. And the other thing I should say is it does not have to be a long practice. But I, I do think it is important just to take um, a little bit of time in the morning because I used to be a person that just jumped out of the bed at the last minute, grabbed my coffee and out the door. Um, but then I always felt like I was chasing my tail a little bit. Um, so so the morning is important, doesn't have to be long. But um before bed at night, for sure, it can be really, really helpful, even as you're lying in bed, to just put your hands on your, your stomach and just do some deep breathing so that your belly rises and falls and you're triggering the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you to rest and digest before you go to bed, before you go to sleep, I should say. Um, the other uh, quick practice that I like to do in the morning and at night is a gratitude practice. So just thinking of perhaps three things, uh, it's at night, th three things that you were really grateful for that day. So that some of the good things that happened, and they could be small things. You know, they, they could be just that chance meeting the, on the street that you, you met someone or, you know, a really nice tasting cup of coffee. <laughs> it doesn't have to be big, but it, it does set your mind in a different place so that you can actually appreciate your days as opposed to just rushing through them. So those, those are kind okay. of the practices that I would definitely recommend people doing at night. It helps you to sleep better. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great. 
I think we've gotten a lot of things that we can apply into our lives on a daily basis. So we're going to do a little bit of a transition. We're going to get a little bit more into the business side of things because you started with your private practice and you've learned a lot. Now, most of our audience, you know, they want to take their passion and they want to convert it into a business of some sort or something, maybe a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to know how you went from closing your private practice. And I know that must have, you know, you must have faced a lot of maybe fear or some stress with that because you're going into a new uh, market, a new adventure, which is the online business. So take us a little bit through that process. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. Luckily, uh, before I closed my practice, I'd already got a website up and running a couple of years before that. And I had been blogging um, just about things that I that I, I thought were helpful. Uh, so I put out, I had already been putting out a, a weekly blog, uh, which I, I really recommend for starting to create um, an audience. And uh, so I guess I should mention too that um, that I presently live in a small community. And so um, I wanted to be able to reach more people. I wanted to reach beyond the borders of my town into, um, you know, into, into a bigger arena. And in order to do that, I I realized that I, I needed to go online and we have this beautiful thing called the internet <laughs> that allows us now God, to love do that. Yeah. Um, so it can be pretty overwhelming to, to think about that, but there's a, a couple of things I found worked, um, really well. One was to just start simple. So, and what I mean by that is to get really, really focused um, and so focused and so specific that it's, it, it's almost uncomfortable because I found I was trying to, there was so much I was interested in that I was trying to do too much. And, and it's hard to be effective when you're trying to, to do so many different projects. So I really narrowed it down to, uh, the mindfulness and the breath work that I became uh, really skilled in and started teaching that in classes and and online um it really helps to start out with a really clear vision so getting clear on what your why is why are you doing this and my why was that i see an epidemic out there and i want people to know that there are tools that can help them and they don't have to suffer unnecessarily so i just get so passionate and wound up about that um, and that guides me. So it's important to be focused, even if it's just, even if it's a side hustle and actually even more, if it's a side hustle, um, and you, you'll find your people, your, your people will find you. Yeah. Now you said focus, and that's a reoccurring theme with a lot of the people that we interview focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I might've, you know, I've extrapolated this while you were speaking, but it seems like you had already started using, uh, you know, some mindfulness techniques and some breathing techniques. So it wasn't like you had to go out there and learn something new. You were just taking something that worked for you and providing some more information for people out there. Yeah, absolutely. I I went from my own experience um, and I took what I found, what people told me helped them. And I would take that and I would then uh experiment with it. I would teach it in my classes. I would, you know, put up a video on YouTube 
And it's all, it is a bit of an experiment to see what really resonates with people. Um, And I found that, well, that helped me to narrow it down. And it also really helped to be vulnerable with your own story. Like I have definitely had um, anxiety. I think uh, I don't know anybody that hasn't. But to talk from your personal experience about um, uh, just your own story about why you started to do, why you start to do the work that you do, because there's usually a reason why. And when I became more vulnerable about that, um, people really responded positively to it. So that was a bit of an experiment as well. <laughs> so just a lot of stepping outside of your your comfort zone then. Totally. <laughs> really outside my comfort zone. The best fruit is way out on the limb. So sometimes you got to go out there and get it. Yeah. Er- everything, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure, everything you want is outside of your comfort zone. So even more of a reason to be able to manage anxiety uh, because you have to take risks and and you have to know that some people will not like you. Um, so you might as well just get that out of the way, like right away, that some people are not going to like what you're doing. So you, if and if if there aren't people that don't like you, then you're not saying enough that that you're not really putting yourself out there, I, I think. Um, but it is pretty important to get support and don't try to. Don't pretend that you can do it alone because you you do need a community around you to help you. And that community might be online. Definitely. The Internet is making the world a smaller place all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it's which is great, Um, because when I know when I decided to go online, I had to learn a whole lot of technology. And that's probably been my biggest challenge. Um, But uh, again, start small. Don't get overwhelmed because there's. So many different directions and courses that you can take. Just start with one. And um, so I went with one and developed uh, um, an e-course that I'm going to roll out in January. It's called uh, Stop Worrying and Start Living. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, luckily with most technologies, there there are places where you can go for answers to your questions. And I uh, there were times where I had to uh, request help like four or five times in a day because I was running up against stumbling blocks and you just, you can't let it stop you. You you just have to keep on keeping on. <laughs> now, Courtney, I know you're going to ask something, but I just got a quick question because I know you wrote a book. Mm. Now, I just want to know, how did blogging help you? Did blogging help you write this book or did you were writing beforehand? Yeah. You know, I've always in- enjoyed writing. Um, but when, but when I started to write my blog, uh, about, you know, the subjects that I was passionate about, um, I started to get more feedback from people who, who really liked my writing. And so I decided with, you know, the blogs that were, were very popular, um, I, and the tools I've found that people really liked, I decided to just compile them into a book. So it it made it quite a bit easier and uh, just to to put it together and then and then publish it just based on experience and and what people seem to like. But I think blogging is is a great way to start writing. It doesn't have to be long. Uh, People like short blogs once a week. It gets you in the practice and it gets a little bit of a dialogue going. And uh, so you 
you uh, find out what people are interested in. It's a really cool way to start. Yeah. So now tell us a little bit about your e-course that's coming out in January. And I know you also have a global event. So let's get into that. Okay. So January 1st, uh, 2018, I'm hosting an online global um, meditation called One Breath Together. And the purpose of this is when I bring people together and we practice mindfulness and breathing, there are there's always a lot of comments about how uh, the energy of a group coming together is is tangible. And it's it's very different than just practicing on your own. So it just got me thinking about how we could bring it's it's been a hard year, I think, for a lot of people that I that I know at least. Um and and people are some people are looking forward to 2018 and being able to start fresh, to start new again. So I started to think about how I could bring people together globally from all over the world using the internet to do a breathing and mindfulness practice and setting an intention and a visualization on New Year's Day to start next next year on a different a different foot. So I'm really excited about that. And we've had lots I've had lots of people signing up already, so it's going to be big. <laughs> and where can people go to uh sign up if they're interested? Um the easiest way is to go through my website, which is mindfullivingnow.com. And I'm also on Facebook uh, pretty regularly at uh, Just One Breath. And what was the title of your book? The book is called... Again, for the people. Yeah, it's called Mindful Breathing, Simple, Powerful Practices to Heal Anxiety, Stress, and More. Yeah, the, the book, I, the thing I really like about it is that you don't... It's simple. And it's, it's written in sections where you, if you suffer with anxiety or chronic pain, you can just go to that section and you can start practicing. There's not a lot of um, text to get through to find an effective practice because I just want to get people um, feeling better <laughs> sooner rather than later. So we'll definitely have that linked up in the show notes if you're interested for the book and also the event and her website. And yeah, after the event, I will just mention um, that January fifteenth, uh, the online course begins, and it's a it's a twenty one day course. And again, I'm I'm always about simple and effective. So I want to I don't I want to cut down on the amount of time that people have to take to find tools that work. Um, and this is an online course where we have one class per week, a webinar, and then I'll, I send, I'll send you 10 minute practices each morning so that you have a guide to take, to take you through 21 days of tools that you can then pick and choose what worked for you and take that into your life. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that too. Again, it's all about simple, easy, effective. Because we, we can all do this stuff. If if you're breathing, you can do this. <laughs> you got this. And there's no prescription necessary. No, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And they can and they can get access to that on your website also. Yeah. Yeah. Registration will start in in the new year for that class. Perfect. Perfect. So as we wrap up here, we always like to ask our guests a couple questions mm -hmm. before we let them go. So, Jimmy. I'll take the first one. 
All right. So, Madeline, you are a superhero. In real life, on this planet Earth, you are a superhero, and you have been saving many lives. We want to know, what is your superpower? What would be my main superpower? I would have to say that I would not be doing all this work and be doing it effectively if I didn't have the superpower of being, I must say I'm a really good listener. And that one Mm. superpower has opened me up to so many new experiences um, that uh, I would have to say that was that would be my most important one. That's that's a powerful one right there. All right, Courtney. So we're going to give you a microphone and we're going to put you on stage in front of all of the people that you could ever want to talk to all at once. And you're going to have one minute to tell them a message that they definitely need to hear. What would that message be? Okay, I love this question. This is not this is not too hard for me. If if I had an audience in front of me, what would I really want people to hear? I would want them to know that pain is sometimes necessary, but suffering is optional. In that there's two things that I want people to know. And the first one is to notice And don't believe all the thoughts that go through your mind. Any, uh, any stress, any, any um, war has been started by believing a story that wasn't true. So I want people to know that negative thoughts about themselves, you don't have to believe them. And the second part of that, uh, that we touched on earlier was to feel the feelings that come up in your body. You won't drown in them. They will pass. And don't spend your life trying to avoid them because that creates so much stress and tension. And it's, again, it's, it's unnecessary. And those two paths for me are the two paths to, uh, to peace in this lifetime, in this, in this moment, actually. I guess those, that would be my that would be my really strong message to people. <laughs> That's a message that will carry people far past this podcast into the rest of their lives and hopefully permeate through their friends, their relatives and the people they come in contact with on a daily basis. I hope so, because we are so much more than we think we are. We we are we we can we're so much more than what our limited mind thinks about us. That's the truth. Madeline, we want to give you a humongous thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. This has been extremely insightful and there are people all over the world that are going to be blessed by this. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Yes, definitely. And we would love to invite you back after your event to see how things go, because I'm very excited for that for you. Okay, I I would love to come back. (laughs) I'll tell you about it. Make sure you guys go check Madeline out on the web at mindfullivingnow.com. But until next time, my name is Courtney. My name is Jimmy. And we're out. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the Come Up podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. The greatest compliment you could give us is to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. This will also help us get in front of more people. And you can connect with us on Instagram at The Come Up Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at thecomeuppodcast.com for a detailed summary from every episode all the way back to number one, including resource links and downloadable bonus content. 